I wish that everyone could have that experience, right? We could spread that, not a, not a birth, everyone does not need to give birth, but, <laughs> but, but maybe be present for a birth um, because I think that is the medicine we all need. Latona Giwa, class of 2009, spent her time at Grinnell developing an interest in birth and grassroots social justice movements. Latona now lives in Louisiana, where she co-founded the Birthmark Doula Collective in 2011. In this episode of Going Forth, Latona elaborates on her work with Birthmark and other organizations that have been central to her wealth and range of experience as an advocate in the birth justice movement. From the Center for Careers, Life, and Service at Grinnell College, I'm Maya Sharetta. Stay with us. Yeah, so I'm Latona Giwa. I use she or they pronouns, and I am a parent of two young kids. I am a birth justice advocate. I have worked as a full spectrum doula, as a perinatal registered nurse, and as an international board certified lactation consultant. And I've worked in hospitals, in homes, in community clinics with families, almost entirely in the Gulf South in and around New Orleans, Louisiana. So backtracking a little bit, you were a Grinnellian, and I'm just curious how your time at Grinnell informed the work that you do now, if it did at all. Absolutely. Grinnell was a very foundational experience for me. So before I went to college, I knew that I wanted to do something related to healthcare. I thought maybe I wanted to be a doctor. Um, But my first semester, I took a Um, I'm trying to remember what they're called, like a freshman tutorial um, with my advisor, Chris Hunter, who um, taught this class on community organizing. And it was so eye-opening and transformational for me. Um, I met a lot of folks who I'm still friends with today, but also just was enchanted by this, this framework of community organizing and of power existing in communities and how we mobilize that. And even though I'm in the healthcare field, I very much come at it from a community organizing perspective. And so later I became very interested in maternal health. Um, So yeah, I took a course on the sociology of of health um, and learned about midwifery. And I was like, oh, maybe I want to be a midwife. I just really into this idea of this transformational moment in people's lives when they are pregnant or trying to become pregnant or starting forming a family and and connecting that to their role in society and them becoming um, empowered and politicized and connected to other people. Um, and another course that really impacted me was social movements with Keisha Scott. And so, um, a lot of, I would say a lot of the frameworks that I still utilize today, I, I learned in Grinnell, um, from courses, but also as a student activist, I was really involved on campus with the socially responsible endowment campaign with Latin American solidarity work, 
I helped found a, it doesn't exist anymore, but this um, resource center called the Voice Box that was a resource center for student activists. And all of that work, um, not to minimize it, it was very important, but it was also practice. I think it was, um, Grinnell was a, a relatively safe place to practice these skills of, of activism and organizing and debate and um, really politicized me. And so that when I left Grinnell, I was able to do that in, in other communities in the real world. That's awesome. And it's, it's really cool to hear how your experiences at Grinnell, especially in your coursework, directly translated into the work that you do now. What did you do directly after you left Grinnell? And how did you find the period of adjustment from college into the real world? Yeah, so I applied to a number of kind of postgraduate opportunities. And the one I ended up doing was Grinnell Court in New Orleans. And obviously, I'm still in New Orleans today, um, almost 15 years later. So that was hugely impactful for me. And the fellowship that I did was a community organizing fellowship. It was with this housing and community justice organization called Jericho Road Episcopal Housing Initiative. And I was working in a Black low-income neighborhood in New Orleans that has a really strong history of social movements and organizing. And I think it was a really, it, it, it was a good experience for me to take those skills that I had practiced at Grinnell and try applying them in the real world, um, sometimes in uh, unsuccessful ways, right? And learning from that and having the support still of a little bit of an institution behind me and resources so I could reflect on what I was learning and what I was experiencing. And that experience um, actually led me to do a work because I found, and this is true today, if we think of, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement, if we think of um, folks who are organizing around Palestine, the, the, it was Black women who were showing up and organizing. It was mothers and grandmothers who were showing up to meetings and advocating on behalf of their kids, their sons, their husbands. Um, and so I was meeting with these women and talking to them about quality of life issues in their neighborhoods. But um, somehow always our conversations would veer to their experiences with birth. Um, and folks were telling me their birth stories, even if they were 80 years old, they were telling me about, um, you know, these really, really deeply impactful moments in their life, often that were really negative. Um, and so I was listening to a lot of birth trauma, um, an occasional good story. Um, and I was like, I, this is where the magic is for me. I just, I want to be in these moments. And so I trained as a doula in Baton Rouge and I thought maybe I wanted to be a midwife. Um, and I became a registered nurse and started working in hospitals and labor and delivery. And I learned that I didn't I didn't want to be a midwife, but I wanted to advocate for midwifery. I wanted to advocate for these more um, person-centered models of care. And that's what I do today. So can you talk to us a little bit more about 
the role of a doula. Can you elaborate on kind of the day-to-day life of a doula and how that would differ from that of a midwife? For sure. And that's a, a really common question. Um, so the basic definition of a doula is a doula is a person who is providing informational, physical, emotional, and often spiritual support to a birthing person and their family in pregnancy, during birth, and in the postpartum period. And there are many, many types of doulas. When I started, I only knew of birth doulas, um, maybe postpartum doulas, but now there are birth and postpartum doulas, there are conception doulas, there are death doulas who work with people during that transition. There are um, specific types of spiritual doulas or, or, for example, indigenous doulas that work only with um, native indigenous people. And, you know, there's there are many types. But when someone says doula, usually they're talking about um, someone who's accompanying folks in pregnancy, birth and the postpartum period. Additionally, there is the framework of a full spectrum doula, which is how I was trained and the organization that I founded, Birthmark Doula Collective. We are grounded in this idea of full spectrum doula. So this really ties us to the reproductive justice movement because it is the idea that um, women and birthing people in their lives experience this full spectrum of reproductive reproductive experiences, including pregnancy, loss, miscarriage, abortion, live birth, adoption, um, etc. Right, and that as doulas we should encom- accompany folks across all of those experiences. Um, without judgment and with presence. Um, So that's what a doula is when it comes to our day-to-day work. Doulas often work in communities and the doulas I'm most interested in are community-based doulas. So um, most of the doulas at Birthmark live and work in the communities where they are serving families. my vision is that there'd be a doula on every block, right? A doula in every neighborhood and every person would just know, oh, that's the person that that helps you when you're in these circumstances, right? Um, and doulas typically will meet folks in their homes or where they're most comfortable. So they'll start forming a relationship with a family prenatally during pregnancy, meet with them and whoever is important to them in their home, sit at their kitchen table. We do a lot of trust building. We do a lot of processing prior experiences. If this is, if this is a subsequent pregnancy, we're going to talk about your last births, what felt good, what didn't, what would you like to see different? And I will say that a lot of our clients are second time parents because they didn't have the experience that they wanted the first time around. And so they're trying to change that. Um, But even if it's your first pregnancy, we'll talk about what, how do you feel about the hospital? How do you feel about healthcare um, workers? Do you get anxious around doctors? You know, things like that. Um, How do you feel safest and most empowered? We'll help them do what we call birth planning. So a lot of folks don't know even know what their options are. And the medical system can present 
care and particular birth care as a one size fits all. This is what you do when actually there is a huge variety of options. And so a lot of what doulas do is just educate people about, about alternatives and options and help them figure out what's best for them and do some planning and advocacy. So, um, we'll help you make a list of questions to bring to your next prenatal appointment. We will talk to you about what is informed consent and how do you make sure you're getting it when, when an intervention is presented. And then doulas like midwives are going to be on call, like midwives, like obstetricians, like anyone on the birth team are going to be on call for labor and delivery. So usually our doulas are going to be on call starting at like 37 or 38 weeks. And our clients know they can call us at any time if they think they might be in labor, if they're having questions in the middle of the night. The doula usually is going to be the first person at the birth. That's not always the case, but typically we might even meet the client at their home um, while they're just help them decide when to go into the hospital. If they're having a hospital birth, about 99% of people in the United States have hospital births. So that is the majority of, of what we do, but we also accompany people in home birth as well. And, and then we're going to stay there uninterrupted throughout the entire labor and delivery. And that could be anywhere from a couple hours to a couple days. And that's part of why I started Birthmark with my co-founder is that this is really labor intensive work, emotionally, physically, spiritually, and it's really hard to do by yourself, right? And so we see a lot of burnout among doulas and birth workers. You know, if you have kids yourself, if you have other jobs, right? It's hard to be on call and not know when you're going to be gone for a couple of days. And so part of um, the collectivization that we're seeing among birth workers is around those structural supports, having backup so that if it's a really long birth, you can tap out and someone can tap in, or if you're sick and, you know, things like that so that you can be a human being. Um, and after, after the birth, doulas will stay couple hours, make sure the family is settled in, help them initiate like chest feeding if that's the plan, make sure everybody's well. And then we do postpartum care as well. So we're coming back to the hospital or to the home and checking on the family at least a few times in the postpartum period. And one of the major issues in our perinatal healthcare system in the U.S. is we have postpartum neglect, right? So we send people home 24 to 48 hours after they deliver. And the birthing person does not get a visit until six weeks postpartum, right? So we're like, see you in six weeks, good luck. And we know that a third of maternal deaths happen in the postpartum period. And so that's incredibly irresponsible. Um, and it's this huge moment. Um, it's a really kind of a make or break moment for a family where you're figuring out how to take care of this new being, your healing and your body. Um, you might not have paid postpartum leave. So you might be struggling financially and trying to figure out childcare. So a big reason that doulas have this positive impact on perinatal outcomes for babies and parents is that postpartum care, going into the home, making sure everybody's okay, um, as health advocates, we're, you know, not providing health care, but seeing, 
oh, your blood, you know, you're having headaches and you're seeing spots. That's a danger sign in the postpartum period. I'm going to sit with you while we call your doctor. Right. And when they tell you, oh, it's fine. Don't come in. I'm going to help you push a little harder um, um, to advocate for yourself so that you can be seen, things like that. So that's kind of a general overview of the care that we provide. Being there through every step of the process, of course, that is going to be taxing on a certain level as much as it is rewarding. And I know you spoke to the fact that you created the Birthmark Doula Collective to help support doulas during that process. But can you talk a little bit more about how you find ways to recharge as you're doing this work that is like so important, but also so emotionally intense? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think I want to be transparent that I, in this moment, don't do a lot of births, right? I'm more in the support structure and advocacy side of birth justice work, but I'm also addicted to it. So I do do um, a birth every now and then. I just had one last week. Um, And that keeps me grounded in in the why of this work. Um, So... One, I think the births themselves and the experiences themselves with clients are really recharging. Um, on the advocacy side of things, it can be really disheartening. I've, it's heartbreaking to see that in over a decade of doing this work, our outcomes have actually worsened, right? Maternal mortality and infant mortality increased in the last year. So attending births, being with people in these um, intimate, magical, life-changing moments in itself is recharging and, and reminds me why why I'm doing this. Um, and every time I or we are able to, you know, just slightly change the conditions of someone's care experience to where they feel like they were listened to, like they were in charge of what happened with their body. Every time that happens is really um, just really amazing um, and purposeful. But also I have some rituals that I've learned from my mentors in the birth community that help me recharge, help me um, process some of the secondary trauma that comes from doing this work. And there are many things, but just one example, I was taught early on that after a birth, I come home and I take a shower and I scrub with salt. I just like (laughs) scrub my whole body with salt um, and kind of cleanse myself from, you take on so much energy during a birth, right? Um, So much charge, not just from the person giving birth and then the new life of the doctors and the nurses and everybody else that was in the room, their anxieties, their stresses, right? Um, So that's just a little ritual that I do after birth that I've taught any of the doulas that I've mentored to do. Also, really importantly, in in Birthmark, part of what we structured in was to help doulas process in the same way that doulas help clients process after the birth experience. So as I mentioned, the doula is going to come to your house, you know, a week or two postpartum, and you're going to talk through the entire birth story. And the, as the client is getting the chance to actually tell their story, which they often don't get to do in any other venue, the doula is 
affirming or providing additional reflections on that that's helping the client to to frame the experience in terms of their power right and their autonomy um and then we do the same for the doula right so your backup doula is going to process the birth with you postpartum because a doula is often bare you know, if the birth didn't go, we can't change the healthcare system, right? And so a doula might feel responsible that a birth didn't go the way that the client hoped that they ended up having a C-section or there was a poor outcome. And so we're helping that doula process that experience and frame it um, in a way that isn't going to carry secondary trauma. And then we also do a larger birth stories. So once a month that birthmark all the doulas get together and share birth stories. And and that's a way for everyone to learn from these experiences. So I think that that is really, really important as a practice. Um, and I would just love to see in society more space for folks to, to tell these stories. You know, if we lived in other parts of the world, birth and lactation and infant care and just how bodies with uteruses work are not as <laughs> mysterious, right? You, you would grow up seeing births, you would see people breastfeeding, you would, you would, um, it wouldn't be so isolated. And so I love any endeavors that seek to demystify that space. I mean, now to take a somewhat more somber turn, you mentioned that mortality rates of both infants and mothers have gone up in recent years. Do you happen to know why that is the case and how has that impacted your work and the work of the people around you? Yeah, definitely. So yes, that is true that infant mortality rates are at a 15 to 20 year high in the United States. And that maternal mortality rates also increased in the last three years. And there are a number of dynamics behind that. One is the pandemic, right? So we started to see maternal mortality rates rise during the pandemic for a number of factors. Um, the COVID itself, right, increases mortality and morbidity risk for parents. And we know that the, the, the impacts of COVID were really disparate and really inequitable. So black and brown folks who are already experiencing disparate, disparate morbidity and mortality in birth had this added layer of health risk. Um, additionally, outside of the actual disease of COVID-19, the way that health structures responded in that time often negatively impacted birthing families. So for example, in New Orleans, and I know this is true in communities um, across the US and in, in some communities globally, all of a sudden doulas weren't allowed in the birth room, right? In those early days. And really, really, really sadly, a num many people had to birth completely alone. There was there were a couple of weeks where even a partner wasn't allowed in the birth room. And I think looking back, we can see how completely unnecessary and harmful that was. But um, in this moment of fear and chaos, health institutions responded in a way that made birthing people really vulnerable. Um, and so there were rises in um, some unnecessary interventions and procedures. And when you look at the research 
on doulas. It shows how the presence of a supportive person in ways we can't explain positively impacts birth outcomes. And so we know the opposite is true. When someone is birthing alone and they don't feel like they have a trusting person in the room, that's going to negatively impact their birth experiences. So there's that piece. Um, additionally, there is the economic impact of the last few years of COVID-19 and economic downturn and folks have had less resources. And then a huge, huge impact on birth are, is the overturn of Roe v. Wade and the sweeping restrictions on abortion across the Midwest and the South and Western United States that has dramatically impacted both maternal and infant outcomes. And I think the tendency is to think, um, oh, more unwanted babies are being born right? More unwanted pregnancies are happening. Um, and that's why that is a very tiny slice of the truth, right? Um, and what we're really seeing is that abortion restrictions impact every level of care, because providers are not able to practice their full scope of care. There is a ton of fear uh, in the emergency room, in the surgical room, uh, in the doctor's office that is in the legal boardroom of the hospital, right, that is trickling down to mean that Folks who are already marginalized and most vulnerable are being denied care, are being denied evidence-based life-saving care if they're miscarrying, if they have an ectopic pregnancy, if there's um, a fetal loss, providers are afraid to help that person pass that pregnancy. Folks are not getting that full scope of care that they need during pregnancy. And I think that this moment really highlights the truth that abortion is part of prenatal care. And we can't separate those things because pregnancy isn't this idealistic, magical, um, fairy book experience. People have complications, people have a variety of needs, and we need to trust pregnant people and their providers to make the decisions needed in that moment to protect their health. Um, so really, really sadly, infant mortality is on the rise. Um, and I'm hoping that changes like we saw just last week in the election in Ohio, Kentucky, and Virginia continue to help us enshrine protections for pregnant people in our legal system. How has your work as an advocate changed since the beginning of the pandemic and with the overturn of Roe v. Wade? In some ways, it hasn't changed at all. Still still saying the same thing. Still, <laughs> um, still, we are still advocating for the same evidence-based practices and care models that we were before these changes, but we just have more evidence, right? It's kind of this, I told you so, moment, unfortunately. Um, I've served on the... Louisiana Pregnancy Associated Mortality Review Board for several years, which is probably some of the hardest but most important work that I've had the honor of doing is bearing witness to the intimate details of when a mother or birthing person dies, um, almost always completely unnecessarily and preventably. And those of us who do that work have, we're saying, if, if we restrict access to abortions, more people will die, particularly Black women will die. And that's what we're seeing. I also think that 
these overlapping crises, which is really um, what we have been experiencing, particularly in the South and in um, rural communities, um, communities with less resources between a, pan a global pandemic, um, economic downturn, formula crisis, abortion restrictions, multiple hurricanes in Louisiana, right? All of these crises are demonstrating the ways in which and returning to sort of our first conversation, power is in communities. We cannot rely entirely on governmental or healthcare institutions to provide us the care that we need. We have to build it in our communities. And that's why I continue to love doula work because it is a grassroots solution and it works, right? And the, the data is just so clear. And so the doulas at Birthmark, I've been really proud in the last few years, the way that we pivoted and were creative and grounded in our communities. We did like straight up crisis response work again and again, um, distributing formula after Hurricane Ida when our government wasn't doing it, um, you know, responding in a pandemic, providing home-based visiting when folks were not being seen in person by providers at all. I have to speak fairly generally on this topic, but there are many ways that communities are responding post-row to, to make sure that folks have access to the care they need that they can't get in health institutions as well. So as hard as the last few years have been, there is a lot of creative resistance happening in communities. So speaking about another like somewhat timely occurrence, but in your own life, how has your work in the South and with the Birthmark Doula Collective transitioned into your work with the Midwest Access Project? And can you talk about the interplay between these two regions and what drew you to this other project? Yeah, thanks for asking. So um, this is a really new transition for me. I started a new position two months ago as the executive director of a program called the Midwest Access Project. And this organization was founded in Chicago 17 years ago by family physicians and reproductive rights advocates who were seeing that while there are many family medicine and other providers who wanted to provide abortion care, contraception, or full spectrum reproductive health care, they couldn't access the training to do so because, and many folks don't realize this, parallel to the ways that we've restricted access to this type of care for patients, also simultaneously, we have restricted access to training for providers. And if you think about it, if you live in a restrictive area or you practice at a religious hospital or um, go to a Catholic institution for your medical school, you may be in an environment that is hostile to or simply does not have that type of care. And so you won't learn it, right? And there is this sort of crisis building in the background that people don't realize. I have full faith that we will restore the right to abortion care, but I worry that we won't have anyone to provide that care. I have seen the impacts of disparate or inequitable provider training in my work as a birth advocate in doula in Louisiana 
this entire time, um, you know, I have been in the hospital when someone needs a termination or miscarriage management, and there isn't a provider who is willing or comfortable to provide that care, which puts that person in at risk um, for infection, complications, um, and potentially death. And I have seen the ways in which folks are turned away from early prenatal care in my state because providers are worried that if that person has a miscarriage in the first trimester, somehow they're going to get in trouble for that, right? This has huge implications on birth outcomes. And so I became really excited about bringing my experience working with families and their perspectives on what they need as they're going through pregnancy and birth or whatever outcomes they experience to the provider training side, right? And for me, that's still very rooted in uh, and guided by patient experience. And additionally, although it's called the Midwest Access Project because it was founded in the Midwest, this work is actually national, right? So we are training providers from any state in the country and bringing them to a clinical facility, potentially in a different state from where they are to gain these skills. And, and that can be in abortion care and miscarriage management and contraception or pregnancy options counseling. And so I'm really excited about also making sure that the work that is happening around abortion and reproductive health care is not leaving the South behind. I think that there can be some Northern paternalism that happens in this work where there's, there is this idea that the North needs to save the backward South, right? And I know that that is very untrue, that in the South, communities have been mobilizing and responding creatively and proactively to reproductive injustice for generations and that actually the South very much has the answers. And so I'm also very excited about connecting these communities for um, shared and reciprocal resourcing and mobilizing. So to that end, while you encounter a lot of obstacles and like very heavy things on probably a daily basis, could you share the most rewarding parts of your work right now? Even though that's such a broad <laughs> question that could have endless answers. Um, yeah, I think just reflecting on your experience from doula to an advocate, what has been the most uplifting part of your work so far? I think it's working with families. It's working with folks in these very intimate and vulnerable moments. I'm always so honored to be invited into that space. Um, and even though I've seen hundreds of births as a nurse, as a doula, as a student, I still, every single time that I'm at a birth, I'm just amazed at this miraculous moment, right? When, when a life comes into this world and I was at a birth last week and had been so disheartened and just pained by all the violence that's happening in the world and um, you know, we're literally in the middle of a, a genocide and I, and then 
I got to pause and just see a, a life be born, you know, and I think that I wish that everyone could have that experience, right? We could spread that, not a, not a birth, everyone does not need to give birth, but, <laughs> but, but maybe be present for a birth um, because I just, I think that is the medicine we all need, right? Um, so that very much keeps me going, but also on the advocacy side and in this other work, I think that the mentorship experiences I have are really, really inspiring to me getting to work with folks who are just at the beginning of their careers or interns who are figuring out what they want to do, new, you know, students, medical students, doula students, et cetera. I love, love, love that work because um, there's just so much possibility in in what these folks are going to do. And that keeps me hopeful as well. So I have another pretty nebulous question for you. Um, is there any advice that if you could, you would give to your college self um, about your work in the future? And I think a piece of advice that would extend to the wider Grinnell community right now? One, I think that as a young person, I thought that I needed to pick one thing and do it. And I felt a lot of urgency around that, that I needed, <laughs> had to figure it all out and know what I was going to do next and where and how. And in fact, I have found that changing it up and trying come, I have focused on, you know, kind of one central issue, but I've done it in a lot of different ways, right? I was a nurse in the hospital. I, you know, started a doula collective, cooperative organizing, um, you know, nonprofit director, all these different things. And coming at this problem from a lot of different angles, I think, has been probably the best investment I've made in in my own profession, right? Because I, unlike a lot of doulas, I really understand the healthcare provider side of it, the hospital side of it, which has um, made me really good at strategizing and problem solving and advocating and collaborating with those folks. And and so I would just remind myself, my past self, that it's okay. To, I don't need to figure it out. I'm going to try many different things, and that's actually going to be an asset in the end. Yeah. And additionally, I have found that I get the most joy out of the work that I'm doing that isn't my day job. So, so the times I'm very, very passionate about birth justice, but the times that I have been in a position to volunteer or just show up as a community member have been the most rewarding. And so that's just also another reminder to young folks that if you really care about something, you're going to find ways to interact with it and invest in it that are meaningful, even if it doesn't end up being your day job. Latona's advice is perfectly suited for the Grinnell student body, a group of people always striving to balance school, life, and the countless projects that make our time meaningful. 
This episode was produced by me, Maya Sharetta, with help from Lily Morish. You can find more episodes on career.grinnell.edu or wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Going Forth Podcast for updates on future episodes. Thank you so much for listening.